But God's design for work is beautiful. It images him because he's a worker God. Uh, and work itself is not primarily getting paid. Work more fundamentally is contribution. The primary place you worship is Monday, not Sunday. Hey friends, welcome to our special edition podcast called Faith at Work. I'm your host, Jen Kelly, joined by my fellow friend and pastor, Corey Shoemate. We get the joy of bringing you conversations that are all about integrating faith and work and why every job matters. We're interviewing Christ followers from a variety of work backgrounds to help stir our imaginations and to give us new insights and practical ways to think about how we live out our faith at work. That's right. Hey, friends, Pastor Corey here. Hope you guys are doing well. Hey, we are joined today by someone very special. His name is Tom Nelson. Uh, Tom is a pastor, an author, a speaker. Uh, he's an all-around wonderful guy. Uh, he's got his uh, D-Min Doctor of Ministry from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is my alma mater. Uh, he is president of Made to Flourish, and he has served at a church that is has just a wonderful name. It's called Christ Community <laughs> Church, uh, located in Kansas City. Shares a lot in common with our church. It's a, you've been the pastor there for over 30 years, multiple campuses. Uh, you're very handsome. Uh, so lots of, lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of similarities. Uh, Tom is a, a, a council member of the Gospel Coalition. And as I mentioned, he's an author. His books include Work Matters, The Economics of Neighborly Love, and his newest release, The Flourishing Pastor. Tom, I just want to say welcome. Wow. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. It, it's really great to be with you. I don't think I've ever been called a handsome before, so I've really liked it. <laughs> well, trying to, trying to warm you up here. All right. Uh, so, Tom, start off by uh, telling us uh, some things that maybe aren't on your bio, aren't on your resume. Help us to get to know you as a person a little bit. Yeah, again, I'm delighted to be with you. And uh, yeah, a couple of things. One, I married an awesome woman. Hmm. So, uh, we've been married 40 years, wow. and she's not only awesome, she's long-suffering. Yeah, there we uh, go. She's, uh, she's a wonderful lady. Uh, and I have a dog. Uh, we have a dog, Harley. Harley. Harley is a, a big 100-pound golden doodle mm. and uh, gets doted on all the time because though know, we have two children. We don't have any grandchildren at this moment. Okay. So that's a little bit about, about me, and uh, we're dog lovers, and uh, uh, yeah. It's what? really fun being a dog lover. I hope people are dog lovers out there. I that, know they're cat lovers. That's I'm great. Now, now, we talked before we got on the recording. You've got an art gallery attached to your one of your campuses. Now, now I just have to ask. That's first. Of all, that's awesome. That's a kind of a way to engage the community. Do you personally like art? Is that something that you enjoy? I do, but I really feel ignorant about it. I don't really understand much about Me it. Too. I think I like music more because I understand it more. But yeah, I do love art. But sometimes I'm not really sure what it's trying to say. I don't know if anybody's had that That's exposure. Good. That's <laughs> good. I like music too. Sometimes I'm not sure what the music is trying to say. So um, I'm ignorant on multiple levels. Uh, hey, Tom. Uh, so one fascinating part about your story. Uh, so, so I went to Trinity, um, like, I, like I mentioned, and when I was there, I studied your book, Work Matters. And it was really, it was a, it was a transformative moment in my life. And we dug into that as sort of a, a cohort in seminary. Yeah. One of my buddies that I went and studied with, uh, Tyler Trinesky, uh, served with you at Christ Community, which is which is neat. Uh, he has uh, great things to say about you. One Tyler's of one of guy. yeah, one of the things that is uh, part of your story is that you you uh, have told is you stood on your uh, on the, the stage of your church uh, several years back, and you said, "Hey guys, I have something to confess to you. Um, I feel like I have uh, done you wrong uh, in a very particular way," and you proceeded to, to confess. So. Tell us about that moment, what led up to that moment, and how it's shaped your pastoral journey. Yeah, when you, you know, uh, when pastors make a public confession, you can hear, you know, 
the, the room goes quiet. Mm. A pin, you hear a pin drop. Mm. And uh, I'm grateful it wasn't about, you know, financial malfeasance or sexual immorality. But it was very serious. I called it pastoral malpractice. Mm. And it'd been building quite a while because as I studied the scripture more, and I know we're going to talk about that, the biblical story, I began to realize, wow, I've really missed really important parts of this story. And that it impoverished my view of my own role as a pastor and it impoverished my view of discipleship of the church. And I literally said to them, you know, I've been spending the majority of my time equipping you for the slimmest minority of your life. Hmm. Uh, I was much more concerned how well I did on Sunday rather than how God's people did on Monday, where they live, work, and play. And obviously, work is a big part of that. So uh, that led to us uh, doing major change at uh, our Christ community and uh, our discipleship, our language. We did a preaching series and so forth. But we've been a part of that shift for about 20 years. It's like night and day at our church. Wow. The before and after is like night and day. Wow. All right, Tom. So you quote Wendell Berry at one time and said, who said, the significance and ultimately the quality of the work we do is determined by the story in which we find ourselves. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the beginning in creation. And many Christians, many of our people understand that we are created in the Imago Day, right? Uh, we, you pointed to the image of God and because God creates and God works, so too are we. But you point out something very interesting in your created to work chapter where you advocated that we are created to contribute. And I actually love when you wrote first and foremost, work is not about economic exchange, financial remuneration. I'm not going to say that word. Remuneration. <laughs> we were talking about Which this we before. We were talking about it before. I thought it was re- yeah, yeah, remuneration. Yeah. <laughs> we were, yeah. Uh, or a pathway. You're a human like all of us. Yes, I am. Big time. <laughs> or a pathway to the American dream, but about God honoring creativity and contribution. Mm. Talk about human contribution and why this is so significant to make the world a better place from the creation starting point. Well, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Many of us, work is hard for all of us, whether we're paid or unpaid. I mean, we, we find ourselves on Monday facing difficult bosses, difficult people. Mm. So most of us tend to think of work as a curse, like the four-letter word, because mm. sometimes work is really hard. The point is, the Bible story, the story we find ourselves does not begin there. And so it begins in Genesis 1 and 2, the first book of the Bible. And uh, what is really important for us to understand is, that God introduces himself as a worker. I mean, when you think how God can introduce himself as anything else, the first part of Genesis, the beginning of the story, you know, you go to a movie or whatever, you want to not miss the first part of the, the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Or a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need to know the bookends, the opening. So I find many Christians and many of the listeners just go back to the early chapters of Genesis, get the beginning of the story. If you get the beginning of the story right, it really becomes beautiful. It's like black and white versus, you know, HD, whatever, okay, mm-hmm. whatever level that is, it's color. So God introduces himself as a worker, and that's significant. And, and we see creation, God creating, which is work, right? He creates the world. And then humans fit within that. And in Genesis 1, we are uniquely created in the creator order or the sparkling crown of creation. This is what you're saying about the Imago Dei. We are made in God's image. God uniquely makes male and female in his image. And that word in Hebrew is salem. Mm-hmm. It means two main things in the Old Testament. It has a sense of reflection and connection. So both of those are, there's a deeply relational aspect of how we're made, which obviously impacts our work and community and so forth. But also we reflect God's image in multiple ways. But in the creation narrative, the primary way we refl- reflect his image is in the work we do every day. Hmm. 
So in that creation story, it builds the sense of all of us were created with work in mind. Now, we're not yet at Genesis 3, right? We know work, work gets disintegrated and we feel the, the difficulty of work. Mm-hmm. But God's design for work is beautiful. It images him because he's a worker God. Uh, and work itself is not primarily getting paid, right? I mean, we, you know, we always say that when did you go back to work? In English, we think of like, I'm going to get paid for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Economics matters. But work more fundamentally is contribution, it is loving God and loving our neighbor and our place in the created order where we make good things out of what God initially created. Yeah, I like that. So it's really important to understand that God created you and me, right, with many things in mind, but that we would image him in our daily work, in our contribution and loving God and loving our neighbor. And that is totally changes the story yeah. about work. I agree. I think it's completely changing for so many of us to, we start in the wrong place, which is fall, which is where we're going next. But to realize like we need to start in the right place. And I love what you said, loving God, loving our neighbor. It's, it's really good. Mm. All right. So let's move to the fall. In your book, you say that the fall tends to distort our posture toward work in the forms of slothfulness, workaholism, and dualism. And those are heady words, right? So help us uh, to understand what you mean by that. Yeah. What I mean by that is let's just go back in Genesis one and two. That's the first two chapters. Then the fall is is Genesis chapter three. Just so our listeners understand that. Mm -hmm. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we have this picture of the perfect integral creation, an integral triune God. Everything is integral. It's seamless, mm-hmm. right? Work, worship, love, relationship, our relationship with God. And then in Genesis 3, the best word to understand what happens is it's disintegrated. Mm-hmm. God's design is disintegrated because we are created as integral beings in relation with God, with one another, and creation. That is all shattered, right? It's disintegrated. Mm-hmm. So when we hit Genesis 3, what happens is God's perfect design. If we go back to Genesis 1 again, Genesis 1.28, we are given our human job description. God says, very rare in Hebrew, five imperatives are urgent, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Hmm. That's our human job description within the creator before hmm. sin came into the world. Wow. Right? Wow. So then in Genesis 3, that's all disintegrated. And so the point here is that being fruitful, you'll notice there's two curses, right? This, this is the Hebrew para, to be fruitful. And what happens is there's the fruit of the woman, the fruit of the land, land. And so what happens when sin enters the world, the relationship between man and woman is disintegrated. And you'll notice there's pain in childbirth. Why is that, right? Right, right? And then there's toil in the ground. You have thorns and thistles. So the big idea there is simply is that God created a perfect integral creation where we have a seamless, uh, perfect love of in creation, one another and God. And that all gets disintegrated when sin and death enter the world. And uh, obviously that's not the end of the story, but that's why work is not the way it ought to be. The relationships we have in our workplace are in conflict, right? Uh, and uh, with one another and our work. That's the thorns and thistles we feel every day. All of us deal with thorns and thistles. Thankfully, it's not the end of the story, but work is not as it was designed to be, and we feel it every Monday morning or every time we get on a Zoom call. It's not as it ought to be. Mm, That's so good. Yeah. Uh, What does that mean for the the person who's going to work and and is frustrated? How does does that... How does that help them to understand uh, how their frustration plays into the the larger story? Because because work does have thorns. There's there's joyful parts and then there's thorny parts. Yes. And I think there's there's that 
you talk about that um, that, that balance too. Some people latch onto well, the promise promise vision of work is um, I, I'm I'm you know living the high life. It, my work is completely am I everything. And on the other hand, you have people who are just living for the weekend and, and looking to avoid their work because it is so thorny. So like, wh- how how does one live in that in that middle ground, understanding Genesis three and its implications for for work? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And again, maybe we can circle back to some of the challenges with dualism and so forth. I guess I didn't exactly respond specifically to that. But I think what we approach our Monday world, I'll use this as a metaphor. Some of us work different times. We're paid, unpaid. But as we enter our place of calling and where we're serving God, where God has us to serve Him in the world, we approach it, first of all, knowing that that day, that customer, that diaper we're going to change, that that uh, company we're going to leave is not as it was designed to be. That we enter in an environment that is not how God originally ought made it to be. It, it's not what it ought to be. We feel the ought. It's not right. But we enter it with a sense of hopefulness because we know that's not the end of the story. So we enter our, the difficulties not as a sense of purposeless, but with hopefulness. But we're not so idealistic that everything's going to be perfect. It's going to be hard because it's not the way it was designed to be, mm. nor is how it's going to be one day. So we live in that parentheses of how what ought to be and what will be, mm. right? We all feel that, yeah. but that gives us a sense of hopefulness. That's good. And that's what I'm saying, realism. And yet we also have God's presence with us and we can talk more about that, mm. but we shouldn't expect a perfect work experience as Christians. Yeah. It, it is a it is a mixed bag. That's good. Before we leave, um, sort of the the first three chapters of Genesis, we you know you, you said yeah. that God introduced Himself as a worker. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and also, sort of when He gave us our job description, He in- introduced us as image bearers, as workers, in some sense. Right. Can you can you talk for a second about rest because that that's included in there as well? And so, what does it mean that's that God good. rested, and what does it what does it not mean? Maybe that, that God rested. What are some uh, misunderstandings of that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's really really great. So in the creation story, uh, in the first chapter of Genesis, we have God creating by his word. And each day, he says, that's good, good, good. And then at the end of the uh, sixth day of creation, he says, it's very good. Then he introduces the idea of rest or the Hebrew idea of Shabbat. So what is important there is that God is not tired. Hmm. He's not, he's not stopped. He's, he's, Stopping working, not because he's tired, but because he wants to experience the delight of intimacy and relationship. Hmm. So Sabbath, or rest, is the idea of delighting in God and his creation. It's a deeply relational, delightful uh, idea. Hmm. Um, and in fact, in Jewish circles, rest is how the week begins, in the sense that on hmm. Saturday. Hmm. So rest is the primary way we experience the fullness of delight of God. So that's the idea, and it's a rhythm of creation, and it was built for uh, human flourishing mm-hmm. that uh, we have Sabbath rest. And for Rabbi Jesus, who we talk as Jesus mm-hmm. in Matthew 11, in his great invitation, invites us into the yoke to learn from him. He says, come to me, right? Remember that? Matthew 11. Mm-hmm. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will have rest for your soul. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Jesus is going back to Genesis. And he's saying, the rest you were designed to have in creation before sin and death entered the world, I will give it to you in intimacy first. Come to Mm. me and follow me, and I will let you experience the life God designed you to live. Mm. Sabbath is the crescendo of the life of intimacy and joy and delight 
and creativity that God designed every human to experience that mm. one day again, yeah. our story, one day fully will experience. Yeah, that's good. I, I like how you say that, you know, God, God works and then he rests, but as creatures, yeah. it's almost the reverse. We, we actually operate, we go into our work week or, or our week with a day of rest and then work from there yes. that, that that we could dive into that. That's, that's yes. massively significant. And I think in many ways, that's really good news for us that's as well. Really um, so, uh, not to skip over the majority of scripture, but, but we're just, <laughs> we, we're going to skip to the Jesus. Okay. So, um, we are, we're church. We believe in, in the gospel, uh, that God has, uh, made himself known, uh, first and foremost through the incarnation that, that he actually put on flesh and, and dwelt among us. Uh, in a previous episode, we talked with Dr. Mark Roberts and, and talked about the fact that, uh, when we describe Jesus life, we, we typically hone in on approximately three years. Maybe we jump back to the, the, the you know, the, the birth narrative or him in the temple when he was a young boy, yes. we skip over the majority of his life and, uh, and, and so, Je- but Jesus came in and radically changed everything. And we, as Christians, we believe that the, the life and, uh, you know, incarnation, life, death, resurrection of Jesus was a turning point of human history uh, that has profound implications. And I'd imagine that you would have uh, something to say that that has something to do with this conversation about work. Now, you discuss in your book, this, this concept of already, but not yet, that Jesus came to usher in and introduce a kingdom, uh, but it is not fully realized yet. Um, and that's what he's coming back to, to, to fully realize. What does it mean? Uh, f- how, how is this time where we have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for salvation, reconciliation with God, uh, redemption of humanity, and we'll get to the you know restoration in just a moment, but what is that? It sort of still feels like a middle ground. So can you help us differentiate this period of living in redemption post life, death, resurrection of, of Jesus um, as it relates to our work? How is that different from the fall? How is that different from where we're headed? Yeah. Uh, it is. I'm glad you had this conversation with uh, Dr. Roberts because uh, many of us forget how important those 30 years were of Jesus, mm-hmm. of the perfect Son of God incarnating uh, before he went to the cross. So I love that, and I hope your listeners have heard that because that is very, very significant that the perfect Son of God came to earth and spent the vast majority of time as a carpenter, mm-hmm. uh, as a manual worker, and what that says about our story because it's coherent with the story if we know it from creation to consummation. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for that. I would go back to say, as we mentioned just a minute ago, Jesus is the most brilliant being who ever walked on the planet. And he is the most brilliant about everything. And he invites us into his yoke of apprenticeship, Matthew 11, to learn from him. Now, learning from Jesus is not just something we do on Sunday. It's deeply embedded in our Monday world. Jesus teaches us how to work how to love others. He gives us wisdom in the already not yet. I mean, one day fully. And now that he has ascended to heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit, right? Or the Holy Spirit, Mm. our helper. And we are to what? Walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Mm. That he is our guide, our director, our constant presence. He dwells within us, the Spirit of God. So in the already not yet, in that picture of redemptive history, we have been given the Spirit of God to indwell us to guide us and to fill us, to transform us. And so many times, Jen and Corey, we think of being filled with the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, we really think of it as something primarily on Sunday. Hmm. But the primary focus is what we do every day, mm-hmm. to walk in the Spirit and to work in the Spirit. We don't often think about the importance, when I work, am I working in the Spirit? Am I hmm. relying on the Spirit's power to, hmm. to do the work God has given me, to give me wisdom, creativity, insight, to help me love my coworkers, hmm. right? To do justice in the workplace. Hmm. 
Um, so even that in the already not yet, we tend to think about the idea of walking in the spirit and learning from Jesus how to work as he would if he were me. So that apprenticeship model is so important for all of us, wherever God has called us on Monday, to live into that apprenticeship and learn from Jesus. You know, we, we don't tend to think of Jesus being brilliant, but Jesus is the most important companion you have in your work every day and hmm. everything you do, not just pastors and missionaries, but his presence, his insight, and the power of the Spirit. That totally is a game changer when I walk into my office on Monday. Yeah, that's good. I, I was reading recently and I heard somebody describe that yoke of Jesus when he says, come to, come yeah. to me, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And they're talking about that, that yoke, which which is, we kind of skip past that part. We're like, oh, let's get to the burden is light mm-hmm. and the rest part. Yeah. And that yoke, yeah. and, and this author described this as um, the, a yoke that is easy is a yoke that fits. And I was like, whoa, uh, it, it, this is a yoke that is actually designed to fit my, you know, my, my character, my personality. It's a yoke that's not yeah. burdensome. Uh, and, but, yeah. but, but, that, but it's a yoke. My, my point is it's still, it's Jesus saying it, there's still work to be done, right? Yeah, and there's training. Yeah, Jesus is training. In fact, in that text in Matthew 11, that's a training yoke. So in, in the agrarian world in the first, second century, Jesus says, take my yoke and learn from me. Hmm. So in that text, he's making that very same case that a training yoke, when a farmer and, and the carpenter came together, they custom that yoke for an ox. Think of, we're not in a grain world, we're thinking about McDonald's golden arches upside down, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Okay. But that is exactly right. That, that, that yoke, your yoke, Jesus' apprenticeship yoke is perfectly designed for you. And the mature ox who trained the young ox had a thicker, bigger yoke that carried more of the weight, which you really might be technical, mm. but it is perfectly fit, fitted to you. That's his idea. Mm. Jesus, that's why it's gentle. That's why it fits for you. That's good. Yep. Let's, Perfect. Yeah. Let's continue yeah. learning yeah. from Jesus, not just from the redemption standpoint, but let's move on to the restoration part. Yeah. Um, in your book, you say that Jesus rescues us from a lifeboat theology, that our present work has a very real connection and even continuity to the new creation. Can you tell us more about where you see that in scripture and what difference that promise, right? That promise makes for our work. Yeah. Well, what happens in most of our thinking is we tend to look at this world now and the next, right? The story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, or consummation. We tend to dismiss this particular part of the story because we think one day in, in heaven, I'm going to really have it all figured out and it's all going to be perfect, which is true. But what does it mean for us now? And this is the matter of when, when we read the whole story of scripture, what is true today and what is true in the new heavens and new earth, one day without sin. Mm. This is called continuity, discontinuity. And an image of scripture is the image of fire, for example, in, in Peter's epistles. So there's language about how fire will come and transform this world into something better. And the question for all of us there is, is that fire a fire of eradication or purification? So in the, in the already not yet, in this moment in time, that fire is designed to be purifying our work, our thoughts, right? Not eradicating. And, and to give you one example, when Jesus, and then we're moving a little ahead, but when Jesus says at the end of the story, I'm going to make all things new, he doesn't say I'm going to make all new things. Hmm. And the significance, that sounds abstract, but the significance is that my daily work, 
wherever I am, is profoundly important, not only to the moment, but my work not only worships God, but it prepares me for eventually the eternal state, right? God doesn't waste anything. Like if you have skill as a nurse or you are have different kinds of skills, God will take those skills and make them perfect without sin, but will utilize them in the kind of person you're becoming in terms of Christ-like, your character, the skills you have, all of that will not be wasted. It will be purified and utilized in the new heavens and earth. Um, so Jesus' parables have some of this. For example, the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 is really looking forward to the future, right? This new heavens and earth. Mm. And it's a parable about economics and a financial portfolio manager. Maybe you have some yeah. financial managers, right? And they're entrusted with other people's money. And the goal there is to multiply that, mm. to be faithful now. And Jesus says, in the next era or the next realm, I'm going to give you more mm. to manage. So that's the point there. Like, for example, just one, one quick thing there is in Matthew 25, that there are three financial portfolio managers. There's work that a lot of people do. They're faithful in the now, this moment, mm. right? In a fallen world, in this already not yet moment. They're faithful to multiply their master's money in a fiduciary way, and they get rewarded. And, and Jesus says, that's not only good now, that's going to make a big difference in the future. Well done, good and faithful servant. So mm-hmm. that's just an example of how I think Jesus specifically points to now and what will be if we're faithful in our work. And that profoundly changes how we approach our work mm-hmm. of who we're becoming and what we do. Not only matters now, it matters for the future. Mm-hmm. Can you can you help uh, color in when we think of heaven? There's probably a thousand different things that come to our our, you know, our listeners' minds yeah. when it comes to work. Like, how, what is what is a work that is in the new creation? There's billions and billions of people around. We're all worshiping and glorifying God. We're perfected. You know, I like to joke that uh, you know I'll, I'll be first in the unemployment line as a pastor in the new creation because we don't need those anymore. We got Pastor Jesus uh, leading the way, yeah. uh, right there with doctors behind me. But um, what what will work look like in the new creation? What what will we be doing? Yeah, and I, I don't know if I can answer that specifically. We don't have a lot of information. I would go back to Genesis one and two as a foretaste of what it will be at the end of the story, mm-hmm. right? Because. In it's probably kind of use poor English, it's going to be gooder, <laughs> but in Genesis 1 and 2, right? I mean, Genesis 1 and 2, there's creativity, yep, there's deep relationships. Um, there is Genesis 2 15, where we cultivate and keep the garden, so there's, there's creativity and nourishing and protection, mm-hmm. yet without sin, right? Without Genesis 3, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus gives a bit of hint, for example, in relationships, he says, but in a new heavens and earth, there's not going to be marriage as we know it. So there's there's deep intimacy in relationship, but there's something different. Or Jesus' physical resurrected body, right? Mm-hmm. He eats, but also walks through a wall. So uh, it is intriguing, and it's going to be glorious. And I know people have written about many senses, not just five senses. Mm-hmm. But we won't just be, uh, you know, singing hymns as much, or sitting on a cloud with a harp. Right. Uh, we're gonna, I think, be using many of the skills we learned and the creativity and the relationships and being doing amazing creative things. Uh, I, I have a friend who says that New Heavens Earth, his great dream is that he can get everything he wants that he really likes and will be good for him and nourishing and uh, won't hurt him. Hmm. So 
it is going to have some continuity to now. Mm. There's going to be some similarities and there's going to be some dissimilarities. Yeah. But we don't have a lot of biblical evidence. It, it sort of allows our imagination our to imaginations soar. to go well. Yeah. That's it. so. So the concept we talked about also retirement with uh, Mark Roberts, but the idea that we, the purpose of work is to just, just arrive at a place where we work no longer is actually antithetical to the trajectory yes. of scripture. Is that right? That is very that correct. That we will be creative and productive that. forever and ever. Yes. Okay. And probably in ways we never imagined because yeah. none of us have experienced Genesis 1 and 2. Right. All we've ever known is Genesis 3. Yeah. Right. In, in the world we live in. So there's mm. much more we can't see. We look for a mirror dimly. I think Rabbi Paul highlights that, mm -hmm. that we have a really a dim glimpse uh, right now of what it's going to be. Very good. Tom, as we um, head towards the end of our time, I want to put some practical yeah. handles on some things for, for some of our listeners. So we're going to give you a few categories of people um, that, that uh, might be listening. And if you just want to take 60 seconds to uh, address this sort of person who might be listening, uh, take the college student um, or the high school student who right now is at a turning point in their life. They're trying to choose their, uh, choose their major or choose their career. What advice do you have for that person? Well, I think my advice would be is that God has already been preparing you for that. So your life has not started now. He already has a story he's building. The, the education you have, the experience, the exposure to people. So you're not starting ground up. God has already been working to create and develop you in a certain way for a certain purpose in the world. Um, so I would just say that, first of all, <clears throat> God's already ahead of you on this. Uh, he's been preparing you. through suffering through difficulties, through opportunities. Secondly, I would also say is look at the need around you. You know, people often talk about gifts, and that's part of it. Like, how has God wired you? But I think passion is overplayed. Um, and again, there's a place of passion. But I would look at where is the world need? Where are the deepest needs? And how may God be preparing you to meet those needs in your community, in the world? Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm a little contrarian there. I mean, I do think you should look at your gifts and what your heart is and ask questions and, and other people that may be doing something you love to do. It's good to ask them, how'd you get there? Mm. Um, but I do believe that God uh, really wants to delight in you. And I'm much more about Psalm 37, unless you're walking across or against moral boundaries or mm. doing sinful things. I think God has given you great freedom. Mm, he wants you to delight in him and your work. And uh, so I would, I would encourage you just to continue to uh, delight in Jesus explore some things and realize that God will guide you. Mm, it sounds kind of like, uh, was it Frederick Buechner who said, uh, your calling is uh, exactly. where, where your great passion in the world, world's great, great world needs meet. meet. Yeah. Which is maybe sort of idealistic, but you know, Hey, why not go for that? And that sounds pretty nice. All right. So yeah, well, needs matter. Yeah. Yeah. They do matter. They matter a lot. Uh, talk to how we meet them. Uh, yeah. Some of our listeners who are struggling because they have shift work, like I think of our nurses or law enforcement officers, um, and they find themselves having to work on Sunday. And so they're carrying around guilt or they have certain beliefs maybe about the sacred secular divide. What advice would you give to them? A couple of things is I'd say the primary place you worship is Monday, not Sunday. Mm. So uh, all of life is to be an act of worship. And God's primary place of your worship is in your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday world. So I'm just saying you still can worship God in and through the work you do and loving people. Having said that, that's the scattered church. That matters where God has you on mission. But there's a place of coming together with other believers. So uh, I don't know if that person, you know, would miss every Sunday or several Sundays, but the gathered church space, gathering in, in community is vitally important. 
not for guilt, but for your own growth and nourishment. So I would, I would uh, work hard to try to find some Sundays you can go to church, or if that's when it's offered, or if there's another service during the time of week, but fi- also finding some other smaller group fellowships that will help you um, grow in Christ and be committed one another. All of us desperately need community. We were designed with community. We are nourished in community. So don't be isolated. I don't think guilt's the answer. Uh, God wants you to be faithful where you are in your work. That matters. But uh, I would find creative ways to find community and to be with the gathered church as much as you can. And again, there's places online that's not perfect anymore. I mean, it's not the same as being in person, but there are other options at least to help you connect with the gathered church on Sunday or when they gather. That's good. Thanks, Tom. Uh, If your church is anything like ours, uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people over the last three years change jobs. Uh, and I'm sure that you, you've looked at those situations and some of them have been like, yes and amen. And some have made you go, Ooh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, so what advice do you have, uh, to the person who's like, I think I might change jobs. Uh, what, what, how would you speak to that person? Well, a couple of things quickly. One is the grass usually looks greener and the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure that, uh, it's easy to be frustrated in your own job because our jobs, our workplaces are one of the primary places we are spiritually formed. And a big part of that is suffering and difficulty. Interesting. Okay. So, so that's not necessarily bad. And I'm not talking about abuse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. But much of the difficulty of our work, God allows and designs us to be formed into Christ likeness. So don't just run away from the difficult thing. Having said that, many people in the world don't have this freedom. If you have the freedom to pursue another job for your economics or whatever, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. So I'm just saying that freedom has responsibility and use it well. Yeah, that's good. That's very helpful. All right. So last kind of group of people that we come across a lot of, especially within this podcast for our listeners, right? They they come up and they're like, Jen, I'm a fast food worker. Or, you know, they might think their job is insignificant or not as influential as others. What piece of advice would you give to them? Well, my piece of advice is that um, we live and work before an audience of one who delights in us because simply we are his beloved. So the primary focus of the Christian life is not accomplishment, whether that's running a company or or flipping burgers. It's intimacy with Jesus. And Jesus wants to be deeply and growing intimacy. He wants you to experience his delight in you no matter where you are working. Okay. So I just wanna I want to frame it like that, that that is the most important part of life. Having said that, some work is more difficult and less valued by culture. So what I would encourage people to do there in that context is be all you can be in that space. Maybe God will give you another opportunity to do something else you'd like better, mm-hmm. but know that you are, your work is an uh, avenue for intimacy with Jesus, loving others, and it's a primary place you worship God. By flipping those burgers, making that coffee, whatever it is, that is your primary place of worship. And God looks at your heart and the diligence of your labor. Paul says, whatever questions are, whatever you do, wherever God has you, do it heartily as unto the Lord. He is ultimately your boss, right? He is the one that's watching over you and delighting in you. So I'm not minimizing some of the hard stuff and some of the inequities in culture, but I'm saying that's never a detour from intimacy with God. Or, or being faithful for him, no matter where he's called you. That's never a detour. It's just an opportunity. Hmm. 
All right. Um, one more question for you. You've said it a few times here. Uh, it's a pretty startling statement. Work uh, is a form of worship or your primary place of worship is at your work. Um, if the listeners are like me, I'm sitting here going, wow, that's like, that's captivating. And I love that. And that's powerful. And then Monday comes and the drudgery sets in and I'm like, I, I, yesterday I got it yesterday. It made sense. And now I'm back, you know, and it's Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon. I just can't stand this and, you know, or whatever, or, or this isn't, this isn't painful necessarily, but I just don't see, I'm not experiencing what I thought I heard Tom Nelson say a couple days ago. That made so much sense, about, uh, you know, intellectually, but it, it's not making sense at a heart level. Uh, how would you speak to that person who, who wants to experience the beauty of what you're describing, but, but isn't there? What, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, first of all, pastors uh, struggle with this too, because it's, it's, I just tell them, you know, it's easy. We talk about God, we study, we, but it's very easy for us to go through a day and forget about God completely, mm-hmm. that we're worshiping our intimacy. So I'm just saying we have that challenge too. Yeah. yeah. Which, so a, a couple of things I would simply say is that you have to bring to mind and prepare yourself as you go into your Monday world that God's presence is there for you. I mean, you have to center yourself to say, as I go into my Monday place, Jesus is there. God's presence is there. Uh, his love is there. And I think that's a centering because during the day you can lose that. Like I have little reminders. I have little reminders around right here that remind me that this is my place of worship. So sometimes you can put little pieces around you to remind you that God uh, is there with you. He's guiding you. He wants you to love others, to be faithful in your work. Um but I think it's a cultivation of your mindset. So it's like your your primary place of worship is where God calls you every day, where you live, work, and play. Mm. Uh, and I think that's something you just have to cultivate because we're so used to thinking of worship is something I do on Sunday when I sing, and that's important. Mm. But all of my life, what I think, feel, and act is done before an audience of one, and it's my place of worship. So I would probably take a scripture just practically. I'd take Colossians 3.23, and I'd memorize it. And I would put it on a card in front of me on my workplace or whatever, right? Or Colossians 3.17. And that would help me remind myself. But all of us need reminders because we forget about this throughout our busy day. Hmm. So I would have something very practical to remind myself that this office, this place is my primary place of worship. And we need those reminders for us to focus on that. That's just a very little practical thing. I have those reminders around my desk. This is my primary place of worship. Yeah, really to help us trust Jesus, because that's what Mm -hmm. it comes down to is trusting. He's really going to use this for our good. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really good. So what I'm hearing you say is is the the issue is not with God's presence. It's with our awareness of like God is present with us. He is there, but we just get caught up in the mundane and we we don't see him. I'm reminded of uh, Jacob's experience with the Lord in Genesis 28, uh, where he wakes from, from, from sleeping and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And I think that that yes, captures so much good. of our thorniness at work, that God is there. We just aren't aware of it. If we can practice greater awareness, I think we'll see our work as worship. That's good. really good. All right, Tom, as we wrap up here, uh, where can people connect with you and some of the work that you've done? Yeah, well, I think the best place is Made to Flourish. Uh, MadeToFlourish.org. I, I serve in a pastoral role. Made to Flourish is a national organization really trying to help people connect Sunday to Monday, as we use, with faith and work. Uh, and so that might be the best place, Tom and at MadeToFlourish.org, or they can 
look at any of the resources we have, the books we've done and that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, it'd be fun to uh, hear from people and just in a way I can encourage them. I'm excited about your church and what you're doing this year. I can't be more excited. Churches around the country are doing this more and more mm. and it really matters. I know God's going to bless uh, your church and your leadership. I'm really proud of your leadership for doing this because many churches yeah, don't speak enough about this. It's been an absolute honor and privilege to have you on the podcast, Tom. Thank uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Faith at Work. Our conversations happen every other week. So in two weeks, you can expect another interview to help you think critically about faith and work intersecting in creative and inspiring ways. Because as we said before, every job matters. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Email us your suggestions, questions, or ideas to workpodcast at ccclife.org. Lastly, tell your friends that their job matters too and invite them to join along in the conversation. We'll talk to you soon.